0: Just want to quickly mention uh, that there's a food drive going on right now, and it's uh, for that Hope Falls Rescue Mission. You may have noticed when you came in some boxes out in the in the foyer. We just want to invite you if uh, you want to go to the information booth. There's a list of some some items that they could really use. Uh, you know, whatever the Lord lays on your heart, but check out that list. And uh, they're having a little competition as they're, they're leaving Kids Church and the youth group. They're doing a little competition between uh, the boys and the girls. They're bringing it in, but they're asking you to help as well. And you can decide which box to put it in, um, whatever suits you. And I asked Matt and Julie, I asked Matt, I said, so uh, what's, you know, nobody's a loser in bringing in food. One just may bring in more than the other. But I said, what, what's going to happen to the team, that, uh, the, the group that doesn't bring in more than the other? And he said, bragging rights, so we're going to have to help him with that. And I, I was thinking, you know, maybe if the girls don't bring in more than the boys, that Julie would have to shave her head. I think Matt's, Matt's going to have to shave his beard. I'm in trouble. Yes. Anyway, just wanted to make that announcement, let you know that, you, you know, wherever the Lord leads, you can support that. We're going to be doing that for a couple months or a couple weeks if you want to bring that in. And uh, this is, uh, by the way, this is our second week back from our two-month sabbatical. Yes. Um, thank you. Thank you for that. Many of you may have noticed Cindy still isn't here. I, I can't find her. She still has a, a bronchial cough and different things, uh, raspy voice, so keep her in your prayers. She wants to be here, uh, so just keep her in your prayers, uh, hopefully next week. We thought it was going to happen this week, but just not quite ready, so anyway, that's where she is, just to let you know. Um, today we're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 4 here in uh, just a few minutes as we turn there, if you have your Bible, your app, whatever you use, uh, we'll have it on on the screen behind me as well, so uh, we'll be there shortly. Uh, as we begin our time together, I uh, I want to start by asking you asking you really a, a simple question, but it's a question that I think is really going to set up uh, where we're going, not only today but for the next few weeks. And hopefully, it's one that uh, we can have a little bit of fun with as we dive into this. But the question is is this you don't you don't have to answer it out loud if if you don't want to, uh, but it's just to get you to think. So here's my question for all of you. Everybody look right here. Here's the question. Can you recall at some point in your life where you had a life-changing conversation? Can you recall that? A life-changing conversation. Now, I know there is no doubt that we have all had some kind of a conversation sometime in our life in some way or another uh, throughout our life that uh, was life-changing. Okay, I, I know that probably has happened. And perhaps, perhaps it was a conversation with your parents. A conversation with your parents when you were uh, younger, at a younger age, when you were still living at home. A conversation that left you with really only one option, their way or the highway. You know what I'm saying? Some of you have had it with your kids. That life-changing conversation, life-changing in the way you began to see life through their eyes. Right? And uh, I brought this up at the first service. Uh, Maybe you remember the life-changing conversation you had when you went and you were getting your driver's license you had that driving you took the written test you had the driving test and that instructor turned to you at the end of the driving test and he said you have passed here's your license that is a life-changing conversation no change my life freedom right Until you went home and mom and dad told you when you get to use the car, how often, right? My way or the highway. Life-changing conversation. Perhaps it was a conversation concerning the direction for your life as as a young adult. You know, uh, do do you finish high school? Do you go into college when you graduate high school? Do you go into the workforce? tech school, you know, what, whatever that is, and you're trying to navigate and you're having that conversation with, with a counselor, with your parents, a pastor, whoever is predominant in your life, and you're having that conversation and you're you're trying to figure out life. You've come to that place where you figure it out that you do not know everything and you need a little bit of help. Okay, everybody march out, get a cup of coffee and get back in here. Life-changing conversation. Maybe this will get your attention. Perhaps. It was a a conversation you had with the person you were dating at the time. And the conversation turned to marriage. Marriage really isn't life-changing, so I guess I can move on. How come I hear the guys laughing more than the girls? Life's, life-changing conversation. Hey, will you marry me? Get married. You know, guy, the you know, guy asked, hopefully, you know, she said yes. If she said no, that's life-changing too, right? Life-changing conversations after you get married. I, I'm going to go there. I wasn't sure at the first service, but I'm going to say it again at this service. Life-changing conversation after you get married. To leave the toilet seat up or down? Life-changing conversation. As far as I'm going to go. Perhaps it was a conversation you had uh, with a lending agency when you you purchased your first home taking on a, a mountain of debt. Right? You finally did it. You went in, you had that life-changing conversation with the lender, everything's worked out, you finally signed it, and you walked out of that place, you know, you got it. You got your house, whatever, you got a mortgage payment, and you realize, hey, I just signed away 30 years of my life to pay off this or whatever your terms were. Life-changing? A little bit? Perhaps It was a conversation you had with a doctor. Good or bad, right? Pregnant. You have an illness. Life-changing conversation. But I want to say this. I hope. I hope and I pray. The greatest, I already heard somebody say it, the greatest life-changing conversation you have had was when you surrendered your life to Jesus. Right? Because that that life-changing conversation with whoever it was that that was divided by the Holy Spirit that that led you into the, the sinner's prayer and led you to that place, you know, that God used and, and you had that conversation and you asked the questions and, and you finally felt prompted and you surrendered your life to the Lord, that is by far the biggest life-changing conversation any one of us can have. You see, that conversation leads to uh, eternal an eternal perspective, right? And if you haven't had that conversation, hopefully by the end of today, we'll have it with you, and we'll rejoice with you, and we'll celebrate with you the change that Jesus brings in our life. Now this morning, as I, I mentioned earlier in the other service, uh, you know, throughout the week, you know, obviously I'm, I begin to pray. I'm already praying about next week. I'm praying and I, the Lord usually leads me into scriptures and what to say or do. I, I want to hear from the Lord <laughs> each Sunday when I come. You know, I, I don't. I don't want to have a canned sermon that I've done 20 years ago. I don't want, you know, I want it to be fresh. I want it to be something new for me. I want to hear from the Lord. I want to, I want to bring that to you. What is the Lord? I always pray, Lord, what do you want to say to your people today, uh, on Sunday? Because, Lord Jesus, you know I have nothing to say. I don't, I don't. In and of myself, people, I have nothing to say. And this week, I wasn't hearing anything. And it happened sometimes. On Friday, I came in and and just continuing to pray, and then the Lord just began to just really begin to speak with me of the direction we're going to go. And I'm excited to announce the beginning of a series the Lord has really put on my heart, and it's simply called this: Life Changing Conversations. Life Changing Conversations. Now, this is a series designed. So, look at life changing conversations Jesus had, that Jesus had throughout the Gospels, conversations he had, and how they apply to us today. Life changing conversations that Jesus had, and how they apply to us. Lord, I just come to you right now and pray that you would calm our hearts, our minds. Lord, open us up to receive what the Holy Spirit has through your living, breathing, active Word of God. I pray that you would just speak through me, Lord, that you and you alone would be glorified in this place. I thank you for our time together. ask your blessing upon it. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. Okay, so we are going to be in Matthew chapter 4. We'll be in verse 1 in just a few minutes. But I, I want to go back into Matthew chapter 3, just a, a few verses to set up our text to make sure we're all uh, understanding what's going on as we dive into Matthew chapter 4. At the end of Matthew chapter 3, we see Jesus begin to step out into his ministry that he was called to do, right? We, we know that we have earlier accounts. We have the birth of Jesus, right? Right? He born of a virgin. He was a baby born in a in a stable, right? We we have that. We have a little few snapshots of of him being raised in the Bible. Uh, you know that we get an account of that. But here in Matthew chapter uh, three, at the end of Matthew chapter three, Jesus begins. He, he's at the age of thirty. Jesus begins his earthly ministry. Then we're going to read that and how it begins. And that's going to dive us and roll us right into chapter 4. So verses 13 through 17. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan, the Jordan River, to be baptized. And that word baptized means to be immersed by John. John the Baptist. If you back up into uh, Matthew chapter 3 verse 11... It says that John, this is interesting, that John the Baptist, uh, Baptist was baptizing people for repentance. So here's a little caveat for you this morning. A little something to think about. Why would Jesus, or did Jesus need to repent of sin and be baptized to be immersed by John the Baptist? No. John the Baptist was baptizing in water. He's baptizing uh, Jews. Up to this point, uh, the Jewish people were baptizing Gentiles that came. Those are non-Jews that came, uh, that wanted to come into Judaism. So they baptized them with water to show their conversion. And, uh, and also, there was just the whole ceremonial cleaning that the Jews went through. But here, John the Baptist, Baptist is baptizing people into repentance, even Jewish people. And the uh, religious leaders of the day were always challenging. Why are you, why are these these are Jews? Why are you baptizing them? Because they recognize they needed to turn from their sin in their life. And John, who is John the Baptist? He prepares the way for the Lord. And what did Jesus begin to preach? He began to preach uh, repentance. That's the first verse. It's interesting. Well, let's read into why. But John, John, so Jesus comes to him to be to be immersed by John in the Jordan River. But John tried to deter him, saying, "I need to be because John knew who he was. I need to be baptized. I need to be, be immersed by you, and and do you come to me?" He didn't want to do it. He's like, look, you you need to baptize me. And Jesus replied, let it be so. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus is leading by example. In water, he's not repenting. It's a sign that he's beginning his earthly ministry. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighted on him. Not landed, lighted. So a spirit, a spirit like a dove comes, a light lights up, something happens, right? And a heaven opens up. No big deal. And in the cherry on top, and a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. I don't know about you, but that would have been awesome to see that. Now, that is definitely a life-changing conversation Jesus had with John the Baptist. It was short and to the point. Not me, Jesus. Yes, you, John. Okay. Pretty powerful. Everyone there saw and heard the fruit from this life-changing conversation that happened. Now, as awesome as that conversation was, it is not the one we're going to take a deeper look at this morning. You see it sets up where we are going in Matthew chapter 4. So let's turn there now. Now Matthew chapter 4 verses 1 through 11. I'm going to read through it. Hold your Bibles open if you want to because we're going to kind of dissect it a little bit here in a few minutes. Verse 1. Then Jesus led by the Spirit into the desert to be Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, those three words, he was hungry. The tempter came to him, the devil, and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written. This is the devil talking. He knows the Bible. Okay? And he knows how to twist it on you. That's what he's trying to do with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. For it is written... He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. A stone. And Jesus answered, answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and, and their splendor. All this I will give you, Remember, the devil has authority on earth only because God's allowing it for a season. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him alone. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him, attended Jesus, not the devil. Now, nobody in this building and those watching on social media deals with any kind of temptation, right? I mean, really, this life-changing conversation doesn't really apply to any of us. We don't have an enemy who is prowling around seeking who he can devour. Not Not us. And, and hey, the, the minute, because the minute I become a born-again believer, all temptation uh, to sin faded away from my life. We all know that's not true. It's not true. You see, the Bible doesn't teach that at all the bible doesn't teach Jesus said in this life you will have trouble it rains on the just as well as the unjust right meaning there'll be troubles and suffering and there will be temptations we'll talk we're going to dive more into this but the bible doesn't teach that and our lives don't testify to that because we fail and we see it and we know and we we come together for prayer we confess right because it's still happening and before we go any further, I, I want to point out how Jesus, again, is in the very beginning of his earthly ministry. He's in the very beginning. We just saw in Matthew chapter 3, right? He was immersed by John, and he went up, and he was immediately taken to be tempted. So his, his earthly ministry has begun. And it's really interesting when you really look at it and you really think about it, that Jesus begins uh, this earthly ministry. He's baptized in the water. We get it. Showing the Spirit comes upon Him. All these things. Jesus is ready. He's ready to get started. He's ready to go after it, right? So why does He just come up out of the Jordan River and start healing people, miracles, all these things? I mean, why does He just go for it? Comes up out of the water and immediately is taken out into the desert where he's by himself in a desolate place and for 40 days he doesn't eat or drink. Do any of you guys find that kind of interesting that that happens first? His earthly ministry has this encounter with the devil to deal uh, with temptation. And here it is. Do you think he wants us to learn something from the get-go in our faith journey when we become born again disciples of Jesus concerning temptation on how to deal with it? That's what he's showing us, church. That's that's why this life-changing conversation is very important for us to wrap our minds around. And also understand The life-changing conversations we will look at over the next few weeks are not life-changing for Jesus. Okay? It's not life-changing for Jesus. Jesus is fully God and He's fully man, right? And Jesus, He's been around since the beginning. So they're, they're for us. They have the potential to be life-changing for the person or persons whom Jesus is speaking to in the, in the encounters we're gonna read and to us, as we are observing them now in the, in the Word of God. Okay, are you with me on that? So let's break down this life-changing conversation between the enemy of our soul and the Savior of our soul. Two polar opposites. Right from the get-go into His ministry, Jesus, He goes and He has this encounter with the enemy of our soul, and He's the Savior of our soul. It's a conversation that we really, really need to wrap our minds around because God wants us to get something, to see something from it. So let's start, let's look over. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Let me me read, I'll, I'll read it again just in case you missed how it read. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit to Fantasy Island where he held where he would sip beverages with little umbrellas in them, eating all he desired at the 24-7 food buffet. That must be a misprint. That's not what it says, right? Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert. That's not desert, by the way. Into the desert. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. He went into the desert. With that sole purpose, you guys. He didn't say he went into the desert to meander and have some shenanigans and play around and goof off. And then, you know, he may meet the devil and be tempted. No, he went to the desert with the purpose to be tempted. Don't forget that. It's not so much for his benefit, church. It's for us with the purpose to be tempted as a man and to make it even worse, he was hungry. Why doesn't the Bible just just stop right there and say, um, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, the devil began to tempt him. It has those three words, he was hungry. Why is that important to any of us to know that? After 40 days of not eating, we know he was hungry, right? How many of you, not, after uh, just missing one meal, get a little hangry? You guys know that word, right? Hangry, that's a word? Trust me, I know it's a word. You don't eat. People around you know that you're hangry. You need to eat. The sugar levels need to come back up. Why would, why would God want in his word of God, those three words, he was hungry? You always, I always read that and you kind of you laugh and you say, well, you think? Of course he was hungry. But see, God wants us to know he was hungry. Why? Because God wants to reaffirm to us that he was, that Jesus was a man, that he was human. And just like you and I, when we miss a meal, Jesus is at 40 days now. He was hungry. Why is that important? Because God wants us to know that he was in a weakened state in his flesh. He was vulnerable. So it wasn't like he was on Fantasy Island and he was eating and everything was great and he was just ready to go. And then enemy comes at him and he's got no problem. He's vulnerable. He's weak. He's hungry. He's, no doubt, he's probably tired. Any of you that have ever fasted, you know how draining it is on you. Here he is. He's isolated. He's in the desert. It's desolate. God wants us to really understand that's where Jesus is. And here's another question. Why didn't Jesus come up out of the water after his baptism and just step into the the side, so to speak, and let this temptation happen? You know why? Why did was it really really necessary to go out into the desert and fast for 40 days to be tempted? Was it really ne- why didn't hey Jesus come out by the water? Uh, you know, we're by the Jordan River. The devil's over here. Let's just get this over. He's going to tempt you with a couple of things. Was it really necessary for for Jesus to to fast, to be isolated, to go out into the desert and to be hungry? Yes. Listen to Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 and 15. It says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest, we're talking about Jesus, who has gone through the heavens. He's from heaven. He's God in the flesh. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Do you get it? But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Any of you ever feel like you are in a barren, desolate place sometimes in your life? Any of you ever get hungry? You see, Jesus did these things so we so he excuse me, so he could sympathize with us. Did he have to? No. You see, this shows us he is not out of touch with us. He's not out of touch with his creation. He's not out of touch with humanity that he sympathizes with us. He understands what we go through in life because he willingly went through it himself. Are you thankful for that? He understands. You see, and the devil understands that we in our flesh, as he was seeing Jesus in his weakened state, that we in our flesh are weak. And not only does he know that, he also knows there are times when we are even weaker. When we are tired, hungry, and isolated, just to name a few. He knows that, right? Think of Tyler, just uh, a... Not too long ago, I know that he was in some intense college courses and he was telling me how much he had to read and all the things he had to do and the fatigue and the tired and all that stuff. I don't know why I'm picking on you, brother. I'm sorry. But here's the deal. When we get like that, right, isn't it easier? We're weak. We're vulnerable. We're at that place. The devil sees those those times in our life. He's like a roaring lion, lion, right? Seeking who he can devour. He sees us. And he attacks all the more. He attacks all the more. You see, this is where Jesus was physically. Not spiritually. Okay, not spiritually. But the man's side of him, physically... This is where he is. And Jesus gets victory over it. And that should show all of us that when we get in those places, we can as well. And this is when, this is when we haven't even got to where the devil's tempted him yet. And this is when the devil comes at him with the first temptation. So it's all set up. Jesus started his ministry. He's gone out in the desert. He's weak. He's vulnerable. Now things are going to start to happen. Aren't you glad we're finally there? Matthew chapter 4, verses 3 and 4 says this. The tempter came to him and said, so the devil knows. He always knows. I wouldn't say he always knows, but he knows sometimes. He starts out with this word. You're going to see it more. We've already seen it. He says, if, I just love that. He th- he knows who Jesus is, okay? Okay. But he says if, and I believe he's using this word to just poke at Jesus in his weakness and his vulnerability, like uh, right now, like if, if you are the son of God, if you're really son, you know, hoping that Jesus is just going to say, you know what, I'm I'm already done with this. I am. And be prideful and rise up, you know, and smote him, right? Hit him with, yeah, poof, right? And, And I believe he's poking at him, and that's what he does to us, you know, he uses those words, if. You can just see the sarcasm. If you are the Son of God, right? I'm thankful I'm not God because right there would have probably been enough for me. You know what? We're done. (laughs) Right? But but Jesus commits himself to this because he wants us to learn something. If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread which, by the way, Jesus could do. We know in, in the Gospels, we see the, the loaves and the fish. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So the devil's first attempt was to, was intended to lead Jesus to disobey the Father out of his physical need. He knows he's hungry. There's some stones here. Look, you're hungry and you can do it if you're really son of God. You know, let's just, you don't have to go through this here turn and eat. So he's coming at him because he's vulnerable and he's weak and he's going to try to uh, get him uh, to, the temptation to come out of the will of the Father and disobey what God wants him to do in his physical need. And Jesus, thank God he reaches, he reaches beyond his very real and pressing physical need. Don't forget that. I don't know about you, but I, I've never fasted the 40 days. I've fasted for quite a while and some of you have. Man. It's physically draining. It does things. It's a great way to connect with God. We're not going to get into fasting, but 40 days. So it's very real, and it's a pressing physical need um, to remind the devil and us that we are not to allow our flesh to override our commitment to God's will. And Jesus does it by quoting from the book of Deuteronomy. It is written... The Word of God sustains us. It is eternal. That's what Jesus wants us to learn here. We we don't have to surrender to to the physical needs. And, And the enemy tries to do it all the time, doesn't he? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 and 13, it says this, For the Word of God is living and active. I pray your Bible doesn't have dust on it, church. Because this is living and active. Hebrews chapter 4, "...for the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit." joints and marrow it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight everything is uncovered and laid bare bare before the eyes of him whom we must give an account it's living and active it's not cutting me right now is it but spiritually it cuts double-edged sword it's living it's active it's alive And see, that's what Jesus is, that's what Jesus is doing here. That's what Jesus is saying. The Word of God. He said, He said, let me go back. Make sure I say it right. It is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He's talking of the spiritual things. It's living and active. The Word of God, the Bible, it sustains, it's sustaining and eternal. Are you with me? We're going to talk more about that here in a few minutes. Let's turn back to this life-changing conversation. Matthew chapter 4, verses 5 and 7. Then the devil... <laughs> Try something else now. That didn't work so good. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If, there he goes again, If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written. He knows the Bible, doesn't he? For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Verse 7, Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Wow. Once again, the devil is pursuing the fact that Jesus is, is a man and, in, and he's in this physical body and he's very vulnerable. And he's basically basically saying, if, if you are really God's son and He loves you, how could He let you suffer like this? Now, He never says that to any of us, Right? You're, you're a co heir of the kingdom. You're the apple of God's eye, right? You're a born again disciple of Jesus. You see, the enemy is trying to put doubt. And when we begin to doubt, then we begin to maybe test. Because we're doubting, we begin to maybe test. So Jesus, you know, you don't really have to suffer like this. Angels have come. Does he ever do that to us? Why is this happening to me? I thought God loved me. Why is this happening? You know, I don't know why. All I know is we kind of get into that place where we stand firm in our faith. And say, Lord, I am a child. I am your child. I'm standing in my faith. I don't understand. I know someday when I get to heaven, I'm going to understand. I'm going to do my best to face this. Lord, I'm not going to doubt. I'm not going to test you. I know that you're going to see me through. I know maybe I'm going to use my situation to help somebody else through. Lord, help me stay faithful and strong, not to test you or doubt what you're doing in my life. That's a big one. I know it's a big one for me. I think it's a big one for all of us. God, I'm a pastor. How how can this happen to me? That's prideful, right? Doubt? You know, you know, God, if it, you know, if you if many of us probably say this, you know, God, if you if you if you really love me and I'm really your child, then, you know, I don't really have to suffer like this. You see, that's testing God. And we're not supposed to do it. We hit our knees and we pray about our situation and ask God to help us overcome or get through it or bring healing. Yeah, 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 we do that. But we don't want to start doubting and testing for His good purposes for your life. Is that make it any sense? And what does Jesus do? Once again, Jesus quotes from the book of Deuteronomy. He says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Let's go back to this life-changing conversation. Matthew chapter 4, verses 8 and 11. Again, I love that. Again, comma, again. Again. The devil doesn't give up, you guys. Again. Again and again, right? And and until his end comes, and his end will come according to the Word of God. Again, he's there. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you. Again, I talked about that a few minutes ago. He has this authority. Hard to understand that in and of itself, but he does. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil let him, uh, left him and the angels came and they attended to him. So he's telling him, listen, listen, Jesus, listen. All this worldly discomfort that you're going through right now as a man, all this can be a thing of the past if you will simply bow down before me. You can have all the world has to offer at my command. How many of you have ever heard him tell you that? Right? Look, you, you, don't, you don't have to go through this. You, you, you know, the world looks pretty good. You can have this or that or the other thing. And, you know, in and, and this season of your life and, and things will be better. You know, just, you know, hey, you don't, you don't have to go to church and be with the body, the body of Christ, you don't have to go and worship and, and bow down with others. You know, you, you can stay at home. Look, look, I'm going to give you this 100-inch flat screen TV so you can stay at home and watch guys run around the field chasing some stupid ball. You can see my attitude about football right now. <laughs> but look, look at, look at the world, all these worldly things that you can have. You, you can have them all. If you just forget about your faith, if you you just forget about those crazy people at the Bridge Church, you, you can just have all this stuff. You can have the latest and greatest Xbox or PlayStation. Hey, the new iPhone is coming out. You want the new iPhone? You have the current iPhone that works perfectly, but hey, you better keep up with the Joneses, so you better have the new iPhone. I'm not trying to pick on anybody, but you get my point. Worldly, worldly possessions. The enemy, that's all he has, you guys, is world. He has the world. He has worldly possessions, and that's all he has to offer. But in light of eternity, it's nothing. You're not taking any of it with you. If you want to store treasures up in heaven, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, like we talked about last week. Love your neighbor. Love yourself. Serve. Love. Give. Do those things that God's called us to do, and you will lay up treasures in heaven which moth and rust will not destroy. You're not taking any of this with you. You're not renting a heavenly U-Haul to haul your stuff to heaven. It's worthless anyway because the streets are made of gold. What do you have that could be any better than that? But he tempts us with it. Tempts us with it. And it may comfort you or I for a season, but in the end it's worthless. Now please, I'm nothing I have nothing against you having the latest and greatest iPhone. Uh, Those things are wonderful in and of themselves. But here's the thing: if you put it before God, if you make it an idol. If you got to go stand in line at Best Buy to buy the latest and greatest phone on a Sunday morning and not come and worship, you might want to check your priorities. You might want to check what you're being tempted with in life. That's all I'm saying. That's all. That's all I'm trying to say in 45 minutes. So he challenges him with all this worldly stuff. If you bow down before me, you can have it all. And again, once again, Jesus uses the word of God in this life-changing conversation for believers everywhere, right? And we find it in Deuteronomy chapter six, thirteen: Fear the Lord your God. Fear the Lord your God. Serve him only and take your oaths in his name. So here we are the enemy of our soul and we have one and the savior of our soul they're engaged in a life-changing conversation two parallels they're going they're going at it Jesus wins anyway but you know Jesus wants us to see something a conversation that truly benefits born-again believers the devil the devil wasn't changed we don't see him falling on his knees and repenting oh Lord I, I wow I used to be in heaven, the angel of light challenged you and Lord, I'm changed because of this encounter with you. It doesn't change him, does it? It doesn't change him. He's still doing the same old things he's been doing. Only oh, it's intensifying now we see in our day, but it will come to an end. Devil wasn't changed, and Jesus wasn't changed. How can you change perfection, you guys? You can't jesus wasn't changed so the big question then is this this morning guess where it's gonna fall on you the big question is this does this conversation change you does this conversation that we just went over in detail does this life-changing conversation does it change you does it change the way you approach the temptation That comes in your life, and it does come. We all know, we all know we will be tempted by our flesh, in our flesh, by our flesh, however you want to word it. We will all be tempted to disobey what God has clearly said is good for us. Well, Pastor Jay. I know God said it's good, but you Christians just don't have any fun because, you know, you guys have heard me say that before. God knows what is good. God knows what hurts us. God wants us to live the abundant life. God wants us to to flourish. And he knows if we do X, Y, or Z that A, B, and C is going to happen because of consequences or this or that, right? Right? It's not a killjoy. If you're living and walking with with the Lord Jesus Christ, you should have more joy in your life before you became a believer. I know I do. Anybody that knew me back in the old man days knows that to be true. Don't let the world tell you any different. If you're not having fun as a believer, you need to come and talk to me. I'll put a mop in your hand. I'll make it fun. Your faith journey should be fun. Yes, there's ups and downs. Yes, there's challenges. Yes, it rains on the just and the unjust. Jesus said in this life there will be trouble. Yes, yes, yes. But it's better with him than it was without him. Your eternal reward is much better. It doesn't make any sense not to accept him as your Lord and Savior. But we know why people don't. They're either blinded, they don't want to, whatever the case may be, which is a whole other sermon. You see, we will all be tempted by our flesh to disobey what God clearly says is good. The spirit and the desires of the flesh are in turmoil. They're a constant battle with each other. Can I get an amen? Right? Temptation to give into our flesh is real. Listen to James chapter 1. It says this in verses 13 and 15. When tempted, doesn't say if, and you might be. It says when tempted, no one should say. You can't blame it on God, you guys. That's what James is telling us as he's inspired by the Holy Spirit. No one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, this is our personal responsibility, but each one is tempted when, by his own evil desires, which is in us, our flesh, he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. Just because you're tempted doesn't mean you've sinned, okay? Okay. Jesus was tempted and He didn't sin. So we can be tempted. That doesn't mean we've sinned. But if we continue down the path, if we don't shut it down, if we don't listen to that still small voice in our head that is telling us, turn left. The Bible says there's always a way out and many of us know that when we get into that place where we know we're about to do something wrong, we usually see that, hey, there's I could probably do something, I could turn left. But because we live in the flesh and the flesh is strong and it's in t- constant turmoil with the Spirit, what God wants us to do, many of us drive straight and not only do we drive straight, we press the gas full throttle and away we go. You know, you know I know what I'm talking about. That after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. So instead of turning left, the desire is there. We, We had a way out, but we went forward and we sinned. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. What does that mean? That means... That we continue in our sin, uh, you know, we may repent and come back. God forgives. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for His grace and mercy, right? Because we all fail. We get it. You know, we get in that place. Hopefully, in your faith journey, your walk with your walk with God. Hopefully, you're not committing the same sins you did in the beginning of your faith journey. Because God is growing you. You're you're giving into the Holy Spirit. You're growing, and, and you're not perfect, but you're dealing with things. You're repenting. But there are some people we know that don't ever take their foot off the gas and they keep going straight and their attitude is god has to forgive me god can forgive you and praise the lord he does forgive you but the bible clearly says that when it is full grown it gives birth to death so if we come to that place where our hearts become so hard that we no longer desire to repent and confess Because we really like the way we're living. It wasn't that you didn't know the Lord. It clearly says that if you don't turn, if you don't let God work in your life, that you will die spiritually let's don't sugarcoat it grace is awesome grace is great but if we come to a place where we grieve the holy spirit the unforgivable sin but the holy spirit keeps speaking to us and we keep turning away and we finally just say i'm not going to change he turns away from us he doesn't give up but he turns away i know some of you disagree with that and grace is awesome grace is wonderful Clearly says the Bible says and that's a whole other message. I, I really didn't want to go there, but I did. And to make matters worse, the devil seeks those who are weakened with fatigue, hunger, discouragement, etc. And it becomes the perfect storm, doesn't it? Don't fall into the temptation to test God in your circumstances, as it, uh, as if it is His fault. Remember, we walk by faith, being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. We walk by faith, not by sight. God has not left you nor forsaken you. Don't be tempted with the stuff of this world, the stuff of this world that might make you content for a season, but it will never satisfy your soul. We see that happen all the time with people. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away, which leads us to the final point. I'm hurrying a little bit. I saw the clock, which leads us to our final point this morning concerning the way you approach the temptation that comes in your life. So we see the different ways that he tempts us. I just quickly went over that, and here it is. It is written Devil tried to use that against Jesus. It is written and tried to, you know, change the word of God. You know, he never does that to us, right? But Jesus responded every time. It is written. As we saw, every time Jesus was tempted, he brought out of himself a God given principle found in the word of God to defeat each temptation. Did you pick up on that? The psalmist says it best in Psalm 119.11. It says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I've hidden the word of God in my heart so that when temptation comes my way, I know how, how to say it is written so it doesn't turn into sin. We all need to study and know God's love letter to us, the Bible. His living, breathing, active words that will enable us to have victory over temptation when it comes. It is written. We need to read it, practice it, apply it. Listen, if you're here this morning and you're dealing with some kind of sin that you you just... You, you feel like you get victory over it and then you just fail again and you keep confessing and coming back. Your heart is so tender. You're just struggling. It happens. God hasn't given up on you. You haven't given up on him. He hasn't given up on you. He still loves you. You're forgiven. But you're at that place. Why don't you do what Jesus said and say, it is written. Find a verse That deals with whatever sin it may be and memorize it. And when that temptation comes or whatever, however it works, say it is written. Blessed is the pure heart for they will see the kingdom of God. Right? It is written. Jesus paid it all. If you can't remember anything or you can't remember scripture, remember that. We're going to sing this song in a minute say that it is written Jesus paid it all I am forgiven forgiven help me Jesus overcome this temptation. Help me have victory over my flesh whatever it is. you get my point? If Jesus did it in this this uh, conversation this life-changing conversation that he wants us to see, how many of you think we should do it? How come my hand's only one up? It is written. It is written. I'm a co-heir of the kingdom. I'm a child of God. I'm a born-again disciple of Jesus. He paid the price for me on the cross. It is written. Satan. please, please, but Satan, you must flee. If we use the word of God, he will flee from our presence. The word of God says that. Did you know that? It is written. It is written to confess our sins one to another so you can be healed. Maybe you just need to confess something. It is written. That takes the power out of it. It is written. Please stand with me. I want to sing this song because this song is very powerful and I want to sing this song as a reminder to each and every one of us the price that Jesus paid. You can conquer sin. You can conquer temptation because Jesus paid it all. We're going to sing this and I'll come back to close in prayer. Pastor, Pastor Daniel.